Welcome to Good Bones, a podcast about living and dying well, with Mallory Baudois and Vanessa Irena. I mean, like, you could summon a demon to get a new job, or you could just ask your grandmother. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) In this segment of The Practice, we're going to be talking all about the dead people in our families. Because we're talking about ancestor veneration. Well, Mallory, since you literally wrote the book about it, I'm going to let you get started on this one. So this is a topic that is so near and dear to my heart. It's the reason why I wrote a book in the first place. Uh, And the reason for that is... Wait, first, tell us what the book is and where we can get it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The book is called Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration. And you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really wherever books are sold. Um, And the reason why I was inspired to write this book is because I hang out in so many kind of magic and occult circles, I met a lot of people over the years who were interested in engaging with spirit or spirits. And often, I think because we come from a materialist culture where we don't believe in spirits, we just believe in buying shit, Mm -hmm. we forget that they're all around us. And so people try to leap immediately to being able to summon demons or talking to pagan gods (laughs) or calling down angels. And that's great, but also that's really hard. Right. And I think it's important to keep in mind that we are all surrounded by certain types of spirits particularly our ancestors and the spirits of the place that we live in. Yeah. I mean, like, you could summon a demon to get a new job, or you could just ask your grandmother. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, like, eventually you need to deal with your dead grandmother. Yeah. Like, that is kind of a requirement. We are already in relationship with our ancestors, and the practice of venerating them to me is not about putting them up on a pedestal and worshiping them like they are infallible, which they're not. They Mm -hmm. were human. They were flawed. They're still flawed and evolving beings, but rather about taking this relationship, which is right now unconscious and probably unless you were very, very lucky with the family that you chose Mm -hmm. to be born into, probably a little bit wonky and maybe a little bit Uh, toxic or or traumatic and taking that unconscious relationship, shining a light on it Mm -hmm. and becoming more deliberate about how you show up in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And because our ancestors are in us and we are a part of them, I believe personally that when the living decide to engage in this practice consciously, there's a mirror effect that is happening on the other side where the dead are kind of doing the same thing. So it's like we're reaching Mm -hmm. backwards, they're reaching forwards, and our hands kind of meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And like, you know, it's definitely been my experience that like uh, 
you know, it just feels like once you start doing this work, it, there's just like a ripple effect throughout your whole life and through your family, even family that you're not necessarily like in contact with or living family, I mean. Yeah, that was my experience for sure in that as I became more serious about this practice, I noticed that I was benefiting from it in terms of my physical and mental health and the stability that I had in this life. And also my living family seemed to be benefiting from it as well. Mm -hmm. And over time, you know, I started with a certain amount of background information about where my family was from. That was like quite fuzzy to be perfectly honest. And over time, new information found its way to me. I didn't set out Mm -hmm. to discover anything particularly. I was fine knowing what I knew and nothing more. But uh, old family documents found their way to me. A couple of heirlooms found their way to me. Uh, Opportunities to study the uh, regional language and the music and dance from Campania, which is where my mother's side of the family is Mm -hmm. from, just sort of came into my life. Mm -hmm. And since I wrote the book, I have heard from so many people reaching out to me to say that they've had the same experience where they started not knowing anything and then through these weird synchronicities, coincidences and signs, they discovered more and more about who their ancestors actually were. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I feel like, um, you know, like one of the things that I remember you posting this on Instagram a while ago that I really resonated with is like, you're the high priestess of this religion. And it's like this idea of like ancestor veneration is an amazing place to get started because you literally like the ancestors live in your body and your bones and you don't need anyone else to mediate between you and them. You know what I mean? You can just get started doing this right away. And that's like something that you and I talk about a lot in terms of like, just like not really like looking to other people to be a priest for us or to mediate between us and a spirit or whatever. And like just doing the stuff ourselves. And so I really love this as a base practice for that anyone can do because everyone is already connected to their own ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. And we're usually on the other side of that argument, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're for the most part, you know, very respectful of people's expertise and, um, you know, the fact that like somebody who has had a lot of training or initiations into certain paths, Mm -hmm. that's like kind of a requirement. Um, but with your ancestors, you know, the initiation already happened. Yeah, you you were born. You were born. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have a body. Uh, Personally, I have a metaphysical belief that you chose the family that you were born Mm -hmm. into and they chose you. I have the same belief as well. So it's like that that license already exists. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you need to seek out external to yourself. It's something that is already there and the power is in learning how to tap into it effectively. Yeah. And also it's like your ancestors are the spirits that are most invested in you living well and succeeding. You know what I mean? So it's like, sure, you could ask like a random pagan deity for like what you want or like 
why not go to the people that are like more that are already connected to you and already very much invested in like you you like meeting you know succeeding with your goals and stuff like that you know yeah not that there's not a time and place for like you know doing elaborate rituals with other spirits and whatever but you know i mean it's just like the past path of least resistance you know right and especially when we think about like pagan deities, which is not something that we have access to directly in our present cultural moment, Mm -hmm. but our ancestors were the ones worshiping them. Like they're the experts. Right. So I think, you know, often when we do have this desire to like explore certain aspects of spirituality, it might be better if we start with, you know, like tapping our network on LinkedIn. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Do I have an ancestor who worshiped Hecate, who, you know, might be able to facilitate that introduction or or interaction. And also, I mean, I think, yeah, an an ancestor practice can act as a buffer against, like, you know, things. If you want to do the bigger, crazier stuff, you know, against sort of like the harm in that or, you know, can steer you in the direction of other larger, more elaborate practices that might be beneficial or not beneficial to you as a person. Yeah, exactly. Because there are certain magical practices out there in the world which require a very firm foundation to be in place. Otherwise, they can be very destabilizing. Yeah, and destructive. Exactly. Particularly if you're working with the types of spirits that we might think of as like hot spirits. So spirits that work very quickly, but also maybe a little recklessly. Mm -hmm. Um, Or trickster spirits. Yeah, or, uh, you know, what demons, we, yeah, darker spirits, <laughs> spirits that uh, are, you know, intimately associated with some of the aspects of life, like even, you know, certain dark goddess figures. Yeah, totally. Um, and and having, that's not a judgment against those spirits at all. But I mean, they can be have destructive influences in your life. Yeah. And when you have the foundation in place, because your ancestors are there for you, they're acting as bouncers to your home mm-hmm. and helping to steer you in the right direction, then that's, I think, kind of a prerequisite to be able to do certain types of work with a, you know, more of a safety net in place, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like because, you know, I have a good ancestor foundation, like, I don't really need to, like, banish. You know what I mean? It's like, I just kind of, like, have a healthy spirit ecology around me. And so I just, like the bad stuff just doesn't really have a chance to get in as yeah. much, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you don't necessarily need to, you know, like go out and get a magic gun <laughs> yeah, to defend right? yourself with. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so much as just, um, you know, developing that that ecology. Yeah, and like cleaning your house and yeah. doing all that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, and this reflects to me an idea, which is that like healing, good health, wholeness, peace is, you know, that is like the natural sort of state that the universe or earth or cosmos or however you want to think about it uh, is always going to reset itself towards. Like Mm -hmm. it will always return to equilibrium after it's disturbed. Yeah. So you can kind of, you know, bank on that happening. But sometimes you, you, you know, you need like help setting a broken bone so yeah. that it will mend itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where, you know, ancestors can uh, can kind of come come into place. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, once you start doing this stuff regularly, like you just find that like things just flow more smoothly and easily. Like it's not a thing necessarily where 
it's just like extremely uh elaborate miracles are happening all around you all the time it's just like stuff that could have been a huge problem isn't as much or like things that you know like normally would have like you know snowballed into like a a tragedy like let that happens less and less or just like stuff you know stuff just flows more easily and problems aren't as big you know in a way yeah I've definitely noticed that in in my own life as well um, and just notice also like having more, having more opportunities to heal, mm-hmm. um, you know, finding the right therapist or yeah. doctor, uh, finding, you know, the right friends who are able to kind of support my own healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very, very fortunate. I think that's one of the, the biggest blessings, um, that I've received from my ancestors over the past like year, two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like in the past, uh, last year, especially, uh, my dad kind of has come forward very strongly in my life and, and on my altar and everything. And I feel like, um, he's led me to, uh, things that have like helped to improve my health because he himself had a lot of health issues like in life. And so, um, you know, it's led, he's led me to different like dietary changes I can make and, and that sort of thing that have helped me like heal myself, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, uh, we're, we've been going on for a while on this section. So do you want to give some examples of how people can get started with this practice if they're not involved with it already or doing it? Yeah, totally. Um, so First things first, step zero, I think, is really just recognizing that wherever you're at today is a completely natural reflection of your relationship with your ancestors. We're not trying to add something that isn't there. We're trying to become aware of something that we weren't aware of, even though it already exists. Mm -hmm. So that's step zero. Step one, for me, is a candle and a glass of water. Mm Mm-hmm. And for me, what this really represents is the two primordial elements, water and fire, out of which all life on earth has emerged. In a way, this is the real form of Adam and Eve, the Mm -hmm. divine masculine and divine feminine, if you want to put it that way. Um, But it's the interaction of the two that made life on earth possible. Mm -hmm. So when you have those, it acts as this kind of spiritual probiotic and helps to... Uh, rebuild up the spiritual ecology in your home. Mm-hmm. And uh, within spiritism as well, we find this technology deployed because the water is uh, like a, almost like a tool for gathering spirits, mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, bringing them forward, for giving them the fluid that they need in order to manifest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense when you compare it to uh, cross-cultural lore about springs, wells, rivers, etc., mm-hmm. being associated with the dead, with nature spirits, and with um, spiritual encounters more broadly. Mm-hmm. And the light of the candle itself is an offering, probably the most simple and pure offering that we can give to spirits of the dead to help them to become enlightened, to um, continue whatever kind of spiritual evolution they are on. Mm-hmm. So putting those two together, I think, is a really powerful combination to help draw your ancestors towards you and at the same time to help them to evolve and strengthen. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. So um, 
And then, so once you set up your candle and your glass of water, then what do you do from there? I think it's good to start with prayer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's traditional prayers that you can use either from your own religious tradition, from the religious tradition of your ancestors. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I coming from Catholic ancestors tend to pray the Requiem a lot, Mm -hmm. which is a very short and sweet prayer for the repose of the souls of the dead. Um, And we can link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, But you can also just pray from the heart, you know, like I... I think when you're praying, you know, really, really let it all out. Like I, the most powerful prayers that I've ever done were the ones where I was praying out loud the things that were so raw that I was afraid to write them down. Yeah. So prayer is really important. And um, the other side of prayer is also kind of trance and mediumship, which may start to happen sort of organically as part of this process. You don't Mm -hmm. need to like chase it. It'll just sort of evolve. Um, and likewise, your, your setup with that candle and the glass of water can evolve too. Mm-hmm. Like you may find yourself desiring, um, you know, to set up some photos of your ancestors near those tools, or maybe you have some, something that you've inherited from your ancestors, like little bits of jewelry that, mm-hmm. uh, you can, you can add to it. Or, uh, if you don't know who your ancestors were, you know, maybe you just want to get like a generic human statue. Like, you know, maybe you get one that looks sort of like a a mother figure, one that looks sort of like a father figure Mm -hmm. or like a cake topper. Yeah. Like a wedding cake topper. Like that could be fun. Um, But, you know, you don't have to add a ton of stuff. You can sort of set up, again, those two primordial elements from which life emerges and then see what happens. They, They will start to draw things towards them naturally when it's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that, I like that because it's one, it's not expensive at all. And it's also super low key. So it's something that like kind of anyone can set up wherever they are, whatever, whatever their situation is. Um, also, yeah. you know, one of the philosophies of a good bones podcast is that basically like one of the, the greatest things that we can do to honor our ancestors is to live well. And so, um, we wanted to just talk a little bit about some other forms of ancestor veneration that might not not necessarily look like ancestor veneration. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I've, were two of the things actually that I've been doing sort of as my own form of ancestor veneration is uh, doing more exercise, <laughs> physical exercise as a way to strengthen my body and bones, which the ancestors have given to me and also learning how to cook. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so because, um, you know, food is life in a lot of ways and by, you know, learning to feed myself and, and it's, that's another way of taking good care of my body, but it's also just like, you know, uh, learning to feed yourself, uh, in a way that's nourishing and stuff like that. I feel like honors, honors your ancestors as well. I, absolutely. Yeah. I think cooking in many ways is the perfect offering because you are honoring your ancestors especially when you cook foods that either they really enjoyed in life or recipes they taught you or uh, recipes from your, you know, kind of cultural background. Mm -hmm. Um, It honors the spirits of place uh, when you are thankful for, you know, the fruits of the earth that uh, have grown near where you live. Mm -hmm. And it also honors yourself. Yeah. You know, when you're cooking nourishing foods, 
you know, foods that are wholesome and uh, uplift your, you know, your spirit and which are pleasurable to eat, like that's an offering to you and, and yeah. to all the people that you share it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? For me, I, I would plus one both of those ideas, exercise and cooking. Um, another big component of my practice is the offering of my creative labor. Mm. So I have a fairly demanding day job and then I spend my nights and my weekends writing Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, putting, putting stuff out into the world as a service. And, uh, it is both a creative endeavor. It is my art. And it's also, you know, I think of it in some ways as a kind of volunteer exercise because, let me tell you, yeah. I wrote a book and we authors do not get paid a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind of sad. But um, so it is, you know, it is like an act of, it's a gift, really. Yeah. It's an offering that mm-hmm. I'm making to the world. And I, I dedicate that labor and time and effort to my ancestors. Yeah. And, and I feel like um, you're sharing the gifts that they gave you, like when you came into this world, you know? Exactly. And to be able to spark that in other people and to hear from people who like reach out to me through Instagram or through Facebook to say uh, that they've had, you know, their own experiences um, is, you know, if, if even just one person had done that, I think it would have made, you know, in some ways my whole incarnation worth it. Yeah. But to, to hear from people fairly regularly is just, um, it's one of the great joys in my life. Great. Okay, cool. So, um, well, if you want to learn more about Ancestor Veneration, <laughs> you should definitely check out Mallory's book. It's really excellent. And um, let us know if you decide to start a practice or if you already do have a practice and you want to just talk to us about it and what it's like for you, you can reach us at goodbonespodcast at gmail.com or leave us a comment on um, our Patreon page. Or you can also check out Mallory's uh, uh, Instagram account, Honoring Your Ancestors, and she shares a lot of really cool stuff about ancestor veneration there as well. And that we'll link that as well. Okay. Okay, so for this segment of the podcast, which we're going to be calling Magical Experiments, um, one of us is going to challenge the both of us, actually, to do a magical experiment for two weeks, and then we are going to come back and report on how it went. Um, So for the first magical experiment, um, I was thinking earlier uh, when we were talking about Aquarius and the idea of fixed air, that breath work uh, would be a really good one to try um, for for this first experiment. And so, um, and I thought that that box breathing would be a good one to do because the idea of a box being like a square and that being a fixed shape and everything. And also it's like, a, it's like a breathwork practice that's like pretty easy to do and it's not super taxing, like you're holding your breath for a really long time or like, cause um, for me, uh, like doing any kind of breath work that requires you to like really hold your breath for a long time, like gives me a lot of anxiety and stuff. And so I have to, I kind of like sticking with more simple ones that are like more calming and less just stressful to my system. So anyway, so, um, basically, so for the next two weeks, we are going to be just doing a simple box breathing practice of three minutes a day. And, um, well, it's actually three minutes and 12 seconds <laughs> if you, if you count it out, but, um, 
So what's box breathing though? Because I have never, I've tried breath work in the past and I've had success with it in Pilates. It's like a huge part of Pilates and Mm -hmm. you're actually kind of trained to use the breath as a way to, it's like the source of movement basically. Mm -hmm. And that's why Pilates is all about abs actually, is it's because it's the connection to your abs and your breath. Mm But outside of Pilates, I actually haven't had a lot of luck with like meditation that Mm -hmm. is related to breath work. And so I'm wondering like, what are you getting us into right now? Okay. So box breathing is like a really simple uh, breathing practice that involves basically inhaling and then holding the count for four seconds. uh, And then, right. Oh, sorry. Inhale for four seconds, hold four seconds, exhale four seconds, hold four seconds. And you okay. just keep doing that in a, in, in a repeating mode or whatever for as long as you want. And it's, it's really calming um, for your nervous system. And it's really just like, a, you know, a short sort of meditative exercise, I guess, that it, it really just, I don't know, it, like when I've done it in the past, it makes me really chill. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, um, a di- it's like a different way. It's just, it's just, it's a different form of meditation where you're like focusing on an actual like activity as opposed to like a mantra or something like that or whatever. Okay. So, that sounds cool. Right. I think actually a couple of years ago I was, um, doing some like introductory training with a witchcraft tradition and it didn't, I didn't end up going very far with it, but I remember that was one of the first things actually that they taught us. They didn't call it box breathing, but mm-hmm. it's interesting that, there are people in modern witchcraft traditions who have already picked up on the fact that breath work is an important component in one's spiritual practice. Yeah, totally. And um, it's also really interesting uh, seeing that uh, breath work being talked about so much like within mental health circles and stuff like that now too, because, you know, one of the big sort of like theories that's come forward with regard to mental health recently is the idea of like polyvagal theory. And polyvagal theory is basically like, uh, it's a trauma in, informed theory that's basically a that that is basically related to the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is like a bundle of nerves that um, sort of regulate your fight or flight or your or your rest and digest modes and basically by like um, and and so when people have experienced trauma for example they are kind of are existing in a constant state of like hyper arousal and so they're like fight or flight is in like in go mode like all the time and so by doing things that um support our vagus nerve or you know um support our nervous system we can heal from trauma you know that makes a lot of sense and so and breath work is considered to be one of the things that's helpful for regulating your vagus nerve or toning your vagus nerve yeah that's really cool i definitely feel like you know, people who have experienced trauma are more likely to end up stuck in that fight or flight mode. Um, and I also think that just generally people who are a little bit more psychically sensitive mm-hmm. end up in that mode a lot because often you're perceiving things, but maybe if you haven't had the right training, you don't know what to do about them. And right. so it's like, there's something that is irritating you and nobody else knows what it is and you don't know what it is or how to deal with it. And so you are put in this state of irritation or inflammation or fight or flight or however you want to call it. Uh, and it's hard to kind of come back down from that because you're never able to resolve the signal. Right. And of course, you know, this isn't just 
for the psychic people among us, I think in, in modern life, we all have these weird signals that are constantly flickering mm-hmm. on the borders of our perception all the time in the form of our digital devices and all of their push notifications and text messages and little red dots in the corner of the app that inform you that you're supposed to read something. Yeah, totally. I mean, I find like myself getting in a state of like hyper arousal if I'm just like swiping through Instagram stories too fast or like stuff like that where I'm doing sort of these like kind of like tick behaviors with the internet or with technology or media that I find myself doing. And like obviously a caveat that like we're not doctors and we're not giving medical advice here, but um, for me, you know, doing sort of breath work type practices have been helpful for me in the past in terms of helping to just calm myself down when I feel like I'm in that sort of agitated, hyper aroused state personally. That's cool. So trauma survivors, witches, and Instagram influencers <laughs> all stand to benefit a lot yeah. from box breathing. Basically. I'm convinced. I'm in. Let's okay. do it. All right, let's do it. Okay, we're back. Okay, so I have to thank you, Vanessa, for challenging me to two weeks of box breathing and in particular for introducing me to the app that we used this past two weeks, which is called Oak. And I've tried meditation apps in the past and this was the first one that really clicked with me and I think probably the best design one that I've ever used. Mm-hmm. And it's free. Yeah, it's free. I, I, I'm not sure if it's available for Android, so apologies if not, but it's available for iOS. It's called Oak and it's beautiful and free and it has simple, plain meditation exercises, but also guided breathing exercises. And so we did the box breathing for three minutes and 12 seconds or whatever, whatever that, however many rounds that was every day for two weeks. Um, so, and yeah, and so having a guided app to help you like to guide you through it is really helpful. Um, you can also just like go on YouTube or whatever. And like, there are plenty of people that will guide you through it if you don't want to time it out yourself. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was really great for me. And I think that's definitely, this is definitely an experiment that I would consider a success and one that I think that I'm probably going to just continue with, honestly, because it's, too. it's literally three minutes of my day and I really enjoy doing it on the subway. Yeah. Um, I do it on the subway on the way to work in the morning and, um, because the subway has always just been a place that's very stressful for me in general, for everyone. but also it's like a, just a nice way of, of, to go into my day. You know, so um, yeah, that's one. This is one that I'm going to keep up, I think. Yeah, same. How about you? I was, uh, even just the first time that I did it, I felt like I got a lot out of it because I sat down and I opened Oak and uh, I set up the three-minute timed breathing exercise. And I noticed that within a couple rounds, I was actually in a lot of pain. And I was like, "Why, why am I in pain in my chest right now? And then I realized it was because you know, for this breathing exercise, you are encouraged to expand your lungs and then keep them expanded and then contract them and keep them empty. And when I learned box breathing years ago, for some reason, I I don't know if it was the instructor or me not understanding them or a little bit of both. But what I took away from that is that you need to be challenging yourself to get your lungs as Mm. big as possible. Yeah. (laughs) And then when you, you know, push all the air out, you need to, you know, have no air left in your body. 
And so I was really straining the muscles in my chest in order to do this. And I had to confront the fact that there is a part of me still in my body or mind or however you want, you know, whatever's responsible for this that thinks I have to hurt myself in order to do something right. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped the app and I took a break and I came back to it the next day um, because I was like, I need to just like sit with this for a Uh moment. Um, And that's really cool though, that you like recognize that about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really glad. And, um, and also I think like an, another caveat with this is breathwork is very powerful, but it can also be very dangerous. And so you yeah, need totally. to have that kind of awareness when you're going into it that like you, you know, you can potentially hurt yourself maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. If you're doing it every day, especially there's like cumulative effects that happen. Um, and so, uh, I think going into it with that mindfulness and not just doing it mindlessly and like letting the app control your body yeah, in the totally. way that you're breathing is really important. Um, but then the next day when I started the practice up again and was doing it, you know, still trying to expand and contract my lungs fully, but not to the point where I was straining myself, I got so much out of that. And I, by the end end of the three minutes or however long it was, I was like in a completely different state of mind because Mm. I was also doing it on the subway and I was just at utter peace. It was like, I just, you know, whatever your thing is, whether that's having a glass of wine or a cup of kava Mm -hmm. or chamomile tea, like I was really in this state of, um, you know, total, total peace. I didn't have like Mm -hmm. a worry in the world. Um, and the fact that you can get there in, you know, as little as just a couple of minutes, I think is really powerful. Like this is a tool that I could see myself using, not just in the morning as a way to center myself before I get to work, but also if things happen along the way. Yeah, totally. And it's a great thing to have in your toolkit for like, if you're like, finding yourself really angry or like in a, you know, like someone pisses you off or like you need, and you need to calm down or whatever, or like you find yourself like in a, you know, a situation where you feel off or like dysregulated. Yeah. It's a great way to just bring yourself back. Exactly. You can, I think most of us probably always have the option at the very least to go to the bathroom yeah. for, you know, a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you need to take time out of your day and you need a way to like reset and deal with something that has just happened. Uh, I think this is a great tool to have in your, your toolkit. Yeah. And also like breathing is something that you can, you're doing all the time anyway. So you can like do it anywhere. Like, I feel like people like to say like, oh, you can meditate anywhere, but like, I can't, (laughs) you know, like I need to be able to close my eyes and like have some peace and stuff like that, but I can breathe anywhere, you know? And then one thing that you also said about just like, you know, sort of forcing your lungs and whatever, and how you had that reckon, like that realization is just like, it brought to mind an important point that I want to bring up about these magical experiments. Like I'm saying, you know, we're saying like, oh, we're challenging the other person, but even the word, the word challenge is like very loaded, obviously. Um, and so we want to make it clear that these are things that we are doing, um, for fun and for like our own growth and, and learning and stuff like that. But like to, 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 if you decide to, to try these experiments along with us, um, don't think of it as a challenge, but something that you can approach like with joy and a sense of play. Um, and I think that you'll get a lot more out of it. Yeah. I mean, 
Maybe a better word is like invitation. Yeah, totally. I'm like, I, I like that idea a lot better. But, you know, like, I think it's like, it's funny to think of us challenging the other person, but because of the nature of our friendship, we know that it's not like an aggressive competition, obviously, but just wanted to like make it clear in case it came off that way that this is like all in good fun and it's all it's all playful and, and, and joyous, you know? Yeah. I think some people enjoy the dynamic. Like, you know how some people like to go to an exercise class where the instructor is like yelling at them and they really get off on that and they feel like they do their best work in that environment. Like more power to you. I personally am not that type of, like I need, that's why I think I really gravitated towards Pilates actually is because Mm -hmm. all of the cues are given in very invitational language, very similar to like a yoga class. Yeah. And no, I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm, I'm a total like queen in that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm also, I'm also like somewhat rebellious as, as if like, if someone's like telling me, I, you know, f- like trying to force me to do something, I immediately like don't want to, you right, know, right. like even if it's like someone telling me something that I was going to do anyway, I'm like, no, well, I don't want to anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's funny so. how many books about doing magic start with some kind of gauntlet, which is you need to be meditating for however many minutes right, or a like day. Right, like you need to do the, every the day. LBRP like every day for like a hundred days or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> and I hear, I often, um, because I'm active on, on Instagram and I talk about woo stuff there, people will sometimes reach out to me and say, Things to the effect of like, oh, I, I don't know what's wrong with me because I can't complete this completely arbitrary, arbitrary bar yeah. <laughs> that somebody <laughs> set for me. And um, it's like, you know, well, maybe because the bar sucks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or maybe it's just not your bar. Right. Exactly. And um, and I think that that's important to keep in mind as well. Just the fact that you you know, you can let your desire to do something be a guide, like for something that is challenging and not desirable, maybe it's just not your thing. But Mm -hmm. if it's challenging and desirable, if it forces you to grow, but you still want to do it, then, uh, that's what I look out for when I'm prioritizing experiments, uh, that I want to take on as part of my own. Right personal spiritual evolution. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this stuff is always optional, you know? So it's like, you know, any sort of limitation, unless you're like part of a a tradition where like that's, you know, the rules or whatever, but it's just like, um, you know, you just, you get, you get to decide what your spiritual practice looks like to you. And it doesn't need to like fit some mold of like, you know, what people on Facebook groups are like saying it's supposed to look like, you know? Yeah. But if you want to try it, um, I, it comes recommended by us. Yeah. Uh, Oak is a great app. You can download it for free. You can try box breathing or some other breathing technique. Um, and I think particularly people who are looking for ways to build more peace, a more peaceful foundation in their day-to-day life, or to just be able to manage their transition from uh, different states into different states. So like when you find yourself in a flight or fight mode and you know that that is not actually what you what your what will be best for your body in the situation that you're in and you want to be able to find your way back to mm-hmm. rest and digest, then this is a great way to do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I hi- highly recommended this this exercise. Did you notice any other changes in your life uh, beyond just feeling more at ease when you were doing the exercise? Like, how did you feel throughout the day? 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like I had a more sense, like, like a, 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 just a, a, I had a sort of more sense of calm, but also I feel like um, I was le- a little bit less reactionary to mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it's like I, I feel like um, when you have stuff like this in your toolkit, like you will, you're less likely to, um, you're less likely to uh, to have like anxiety about anxiety. You know oh, that's I mean? a really good point. Like, um, so it's just like, uh, I, I'm less like worried about feeling bad because I know that I have something that can help me if I do, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so like, um, I'm less likely to freak out about stuff because I feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm more equipped, I guess, to handle life in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like anxiety is no longer this thing that can just happen to you and you have no way to address it. Right. And then you get anxious about being anxious. Yeah, totally. Like, I feel like a lot of, um, issues like mental health issues is like, for me personally arise from like feeling bad about feeling bad or Mm. feeling bad about the potential to feel bad at a later time, (laughs) you know, and, and, and like, and like adding fear and story to that. And so I feel like the more, sort of like baseline things that you can do to like build up your resilience in that way will add to like, it won't add, it won't like add shit to your shit sandwich basically. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Because like a lot of times, like, you know, I'll be, you know, if I get angry or something like that, I'll be like, oh, why am I angry? I'm such a bad person. You know what I mean? Instead of just like letting myself be angry, I guess. And so I feel like, um, yeah, just like having stuff like this that you know you can, can turn to like, um, makes like the experience of emotions and, uh, like undesirable emotions, like which are totally normal, like feeling angry or whatever is like a totally normal part of life, but it makes it like less likely to be something that like I'm distressed about experiencing, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. I, I, one of the big things that I learned this year in going through my Saturn return and having, basically everything in my life kind of go wrong (laughs) in one year um, has been that feelings really only actually last a couple of seconds. The the feeling in your body, Mm -hmm. the, the emotion stirring in your body only lasts a couple of seconds. It's the narrative that you create about that feeling, the narrative in which you know, you are a mistake or your Mm -hmm. life is shit or, you know, nobody loves you. You're inherently unlovable. Like those things are what stick with you. And Mm -hmm. so if you're able to let something, whether that's anger or sadness or disgust, just kind of move through you in a couple of seconds without, without trying to impede it or without making a narrative out of it that you're then going to return to over and over again and, you know, use that narrative to invoke that feeling, mm-hmm. um, then you're fine. Like the, the feeling comes and it leaves and it, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that skill I think is, is really important. And I also, I had a similar experience over the past two weeks where I feel like uh, doing this breathwork practice every morning helped to expedite things that I have been working on all year in terms of being able to really feel something, let it go, and then kind of return to a baseline, which mm-hmm. is, you know, by and large, pretty peaceful. Yeah, totally. And, um, 
I, I've been very impressed with over the past two weeks, I've had some really high stakes conversations. I have received some very bad news. And in those particular instances, I was able to kind of, you know, just feel something in the moment. And then it, it was over within a couple of minutes. And mm-hmm. I was rather than losing several days to getting upset about what had happened mm-hmm. and what I had felt or creating a narrative that I end up trapped in for several days, mm-hmm. I was able to just kind of like come back and yeah. start living again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's like that, um, that feeling like, I feel like when you're in the fight and the fight or flight, like mentality or mode or whatever, it's like the overwhelming sensation is like, I'm not safe right now. And so I feel like, um, you know, the breath work really reinforces that feeling of like just safety and safety in my body, like when I can do it, you know? And so I think it's, it's really powerful for that, you know, like when, when stuff, like when shit hits, hits the fan kind of thing, you know? So that's great. Well, cool. All right. So, um, uh, we invite everyone to try this practice for two weeks if they would like to, and, um, please reach out to us and let us know how it went for you at goodbonespodcast at gmail or you can leave us a comment on the patreon okay so this is going to be a one-off segment called magical mishaps and we're just going to be talking a bit about um some of the magical practices that we've done that just like went horribly wrong oh god (laughs) (laughs) and also just stuff that we tried that just like didn't do anything for us at all and so and how we sort of like used the lessons of that information to shape the practices that we have now i'm so scared (laughs) all right so i guess i'll start um and this is just a, a really embarrassing story. But um, so uh, so I currently live in Queens and I was living in Brooklyn for a really long time before that. And um, I got married and decided that I needed to uh, live. We, we, needed, we needed a bigger apartment, basically, because I was living in a tiny apartment in Williamsburg by myself and it wasn't big enough for two people. And so, you know, I sold my place and I was – like, you know, when you sell your apartment, you kind of like, you need to like use that money to buy the new apartment. And so there's this like period of time where you kind of are just in limbo because you don't have the money, but you have to move out of your old place. You can sell it. And so also, by the way, money is literally fake. Yeah. (laughs) This is is actual magic right here. (laughs) Right. So, um, so we were sort of in this weird place of being transient and like, we were, it was like the dead of winter. We were living in like Airbnbs and just like in, in like basement apartments, freezing our asses off. And so I was in a place of feeling like really desperate to find a new place for us to live in. And so I was looking at an apartment and um, I decided that I was going to use uh, this hoodoo formula called I can and you can't. What is that? Um, so uh, it, it sounds uh, like sort of what it sounds like, but basically it's a hoodoo formula that is used to sort of eliminate your competition for something you want. So people can use uh, the people will use it to, you know, if they're competing for a lover or, you know, people can sprinkle it on their resume if they don't want someone to get the job that they're going after, that sort of thing. And so I had this idea that like, oh, I'm going to sprinkle this around this apartment that I really want so that like no one else gets it. Um, so so I'm looking at the apartment, you know, and 
you know, the carp, the, 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 the powder is white and the, the, this apartment has pink carpet <laughs> and, you know, I'm going and I'm trying to like sprinkle a little bit like on the floor and I accidentally just like dump <laughs> a bunch of this powder, like all over the carpet. And uh, luckily like no one saw me, but at one point I was like rubbing my foot into the carpet to like rub it in so that no one would see what I was doing. And the realtor came in, into the room that I was in. And I, I think I played it off really well, but it was like so humiliating. And I feel like I was just like in this like horrible, desperate place, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I was able to laugh about it, but, um, you know, it was just like one of those things where I just was like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I felt really silly about it afterwards. And ultimately we actually did not get that apartment, but it ended up working out for the best because we got another place that was much better. But um, yeah, so that <laughs> that's probably one of my biggest sort of like embarrassing magical stories. Okay, my most embarrassing magical story also involves powders. <laughs> um, uh, so I guess this is kind of like a buyer beware for anybody who is interested in, in working with uh, magical sachet powders uh, such as this. Um, but I was in a situation with this guy where I was just trying to get him to leave, mm -mm. leave our shared uh, space and existence together. I'm not going to say anything more about uh, about it. Um, but I had been talking to a friend of mine at the time who was the type of person who really would like talk up his magical practice and ability. Like he was a, an expert. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was also really impressed by stuff like that. Yeah. Like I was so, so willing to just believe whatever any, particularly any male person <laughs> told me about how powerful he was. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I remember even asking him, I, I was interested in using hot foot powder, which is also a hoodoo formula. So like often with these hoodoo formulas, you know, there's some kind of condition in your life uh, that they're prescribed for. And in the case of hot foot powder, it usually is used to get somebody to leave, whether that's a roommate or, um, a whatever, a coworker. Uh, and so I remember like looking at it and thinking like, wow, this is fucking white powder. Um, and you know, this was several years after the anthrax scares, oh, but, <laughs> But still, um, you know, I think that, you know, growing up in, in that time period yeah, totally. had really, like, really impressed upon me that white powders are extreme, you know, you go to jail, which I guess is true. Like, yeah. with, a lot of, <laughs> with a lot of white powders, there is the opportunity to go to jail. Um, but I, I was asking this guy, like, uh, so what, you just sprinkle it? around don't don't people don't people get suspicious of that mm -hmm. and he i swear to god he swore up and down that nobody would notice mm. because according to him he used them all the time and people just he didn't say that like they're invisible because of psychic magic whatever blah mm -hmm. blah blah but he did claim that most people just aren't paying attention enough to notice white powder mm -hmm. on the floor. Um, I would debate that claim. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember like after I dropped that first little sprinkle, I, it was a total 
I've made a huge mistake <laughs> moment. And I, I was like, how am I going to undo this right now? Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? And so like you, I think I did end up trying to just like rub it out with my feet subtly, like looking, <laughs> probably looking, probably looking like even more suspicious than the white powder <laughs> that I had just sprinkled. Um, but yeah, after that, I was like, no more with the powders ever yeah. again. I have heard since then that the way that other people deploy them is by combining them with a little bit of dirt mm. from the area. Smart. Yeah, from whatever area that you're working in, which makes a lot of sense. But I think I also just kind of realized after that particular instance that there are maybe certain practices where it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to try to teach them myself by reading something online. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just like doing it. I think that there is a certain amount of um, subtlety, one might even say cunning, that goes into being able to do magic effectively. And it's just like cooking, actually, where mm -hmm. there are, you know, when you're reading through a recipe, there are certain steps that might be omitted because it's assumed that you know how to do mm, that. Yeah. Like if you're adding, um, you know, uh, water to a really hot pan, for example, or a pan that has oil in it or something like that, you know, there's a, there's a potential for that to go horribly, horribly wrong. The recipe may warn you about that and say like, hey, stand back, this is gonna steam up. Um, there, there might be like a really intense reaction um, or it might assume that you know yeah. <laughs> that that's gonna happen. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I have since then kind of like learned to favor things that either come from my own kind of unconscious and build mm -hmm. on things that I've done before or where I'm being instructed by somebody that I know in real life who I trust a lot more than that shady yeah. hoodoo guy. Totally. But I feel like, yeah, it's like you you get to discern like what what that feels like, you know, by sort of like doing stuff like that and totally fucking up and, you know what I mean? Like realizing that you made that mistake, you know what I mean? So I feel like um, on a certain level, like, you know, making those kinds of mistakes are part of the process. Like that's how you learn. And I think that, um, you know, when I first started doing magic and spiritual practices and stuff like that, like I feel like um, I would always, I was so afraid to do something wrong or oh to God, make a mistake yeah. that I like just wouldn't do anything at all. Yeah. Or I would convince myself like, oh, I can't do this because I don't have like blah, blah, blah ingredient or like whatever, you know what I mean? And, and do all that kind of stuff. So I feel like, um, you know, uh, making mistakes is normal. Making stuff that, uh, doing stuff that feels silly <laughs> like is, is like, is, is normal and part of the process. Like I've done so many practices, um, that just felt so ridiculous to me, but like I didn't really realize that I wasn't resonating with it until I tried it myself. Yeah, I feel like I'm just a naturally really curious person, and so I always just want to try everything myself. Which is a good thing, like being curious, wanting to try things yourself, definitely, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's just sort of how I like was able to learn like what resonated with me and what didn't. You know, um, I've tried a lot of magical practices that just ended up feeling like kind of like LARPing to me, you know, um, anything involved, like a lot of stuff involving, uh, you know, casting fancy circles and like doing stuff with um, a lot of the sort of like traditional quote unquote witch tools like wands and athames and stuff like that. And, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. Um, if it's something that resonates with you, for me, it just, it felt like, 
it felt like LARPing to me, you know, like it didn't feel uh, authentic to me and it didn't feel right, like in my body. And so, um, but I didn't know that until I tried it. Yeah, no, likewise. And I definitely remember like being a kid and reading Teen Witch and getting (laughs) all these ideas about like, okay, I'm going to like cast a circle once my parents are asleep. Um, And it just never quite did it for me. Um, And even as an adult too, I feel like if there is a spell or a ritual that has a lot of words that you either need to memorize or you're reading them out Mm -hmm. of a book, it's really hard for me to get in the mood, so to speak. Totally. Um, yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. And, um, and I think that also, um, you know, a a lot of the stuff that specifically never resonated with me is this idea of like, um, you know, uh, banishing constantly creating circles and all that kind of stuff, because I feel like, um, it doesn't align with my cosmology, like as someone who's like an animist and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that you can just like create like a vacuum you know what I mean by just saying some words or whatever like I feel like um spirits are all around us all the time and uh it's more about sort of learning to live in harmony with them as opposed to like you know just like trying to get them away from you all the time or whatever you know yeah it's always weird when you hear those types of recommendations like you know oh well if you want to learn magic you should do the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram every day for 30 days. Yeah. And you think that you're naive or dumb because you don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And then you start to realize over time that you didn't understand it because it didn't actually make any sense. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or to put it more, you know, relatively, it didn't align with your personal cosmology or the work that your soul has come here to Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, I think that like sort of like intro to magic and intro to witchcraft books or whatever are good to uh, to instill the idea that like this stuff can be dangerous. But I think that that some kind of uh, that stuff can go too far, you know, where it's like people are afraid. It makes people afraid and, and also makes them afraid to try and do things. You know, like it, it does become a barrier to entry if people feel like, you know, they need to be uh doing uh, constant magical protection and stuff like that all the time, you know? And it's also funny how sometimes the thing that you come up with yourself in order to be like the antidote to whatever it is you realized was wrong in the first place is also kind of just heading in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, So like I remember really, really distinctly you know, I went through my teen fluffy bunny Wiccan phase where I was reading books like Teen Witch, which is, you know, if you're into it, like good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, it was not, it did not satisfy my core spiritual uh, nourishment needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought like, okay, well, the opposite of that, since this has not been doing it for me, is I'm going to go super hardcore reconstructionist pagan. Yeah. Um, and ye olde traditional ye witchcraft. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I ended up just reading a ton of academic books about paganism, um, you know, the way that it was practiced historically. And first of all, struggling to read those books mm-hmm. because they're, they're written, boring. <laughs> they're written by academics. 
for academics struggling to pay for those books because academic books are like they're expensive. really expensive um you know because apparently we're supposed to be hoarding all the knowledge and making right. it hard for the average person to to be able to afford or understand right um and also you know there was just too big of a gap between my life as a 21st century American woman and the life of like an 11th century Norse right. pagan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And um, I mean, it's like, it's similar to like, for example, like I am someone who eats a paleo diet, but I don't think that I need to go live in a cave and, you know, um, like hunt for my dinner and stuff like that. For me, eating a paleo diet is like not having Captain Crunch for breakfast and stuff like that, like eating whole unprocessed food in their most natural state as possible. But it's not about like trying to pretend like I live during that time. You know, it's just more about adapting those principles to my current life. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the key and the thing that we've been, uh, this like theme that has come up a couple of times over the course of this conversation, which is what is actually relevant to your real life that you're really living versus what is a practice that you are actually completely unfamiliar with and don't know how to deploy effectively as we saw with the powders what is a practice that takes you out of your body mm-hmm. as we talked about you know why casting circles does not really work for us yeah. personally or what is a practice that is or was relevant to somebody who lived in a very different time mm-hmm. and a very different place and had a very different social structure and understanding of the world than the one that we live with today. Mm-hmm. So I think that that might actually be like a really good place to uh, start with is like always just kind of centering your your own experience and mm-hmm. what you're really feeling in the moment and what's really happening and to seek out ways to augment those raw materials mm-hmm. rather than thinking like, okay, well, I need to be this blank slate that I can then write magic onto. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, the lesson that you can take away from this is, like, don't be afraid to make mistakes or, like, make an, make an ass out of yourself in pursuit of, like, finding the practices that work for you and feel the best for you. But don't get arrested. Yeah. We don't take it. We take no responsibility for um, any, yeah, anything that you might uh, do with white do. powder. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, if you want to tell us about any of your magical mishaps, let us know. Yeah, we showed you ours. Now it's time for you to show us yours. (laughs) We want to hear all of the gory details about the dumbest shit you've ever tried. Yeah, you can email us at goodbonespodcast at gmail.com or you can leave us as a comment on the Patreon page or you can leave us a voicemail as well. Thank you so much for listening to Good Bones. I'm Mallory Vaudoise, and you can find me on Instagram at Honoring Your Ancestors. And I'm Vanessa Irena, and you can find me at Irena Vanessa. If you like what you heard, please consider rating us on iTunes and sharing our podcast with a friend. Want more Good Bones in your life? Sign up for our Patreon and get access to exclusive bonus content, including subscriber-only Q&As, as well as our special Bone Down mini-episodes, where we dig up the dirt on more taboo topics. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to drop us a line at goodbonespodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash goodbones. Until Until next time, live well.
was cute. I love it. I loved it. it. Yeah. Okay, cool.